So we've told you about Walter's Brunch. Did you know that Walter's also is open for lunch? Monday through Friday, Walter's opens at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and even the occasional European soccer match. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walter's. Walter's is a great spot to follow the Nats, whether they're across the street or if they're on the road. Plenty of TVs to watch with your friends. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fetty leans in, takes the sign from Gomes. And he deals. Swinging a fly ball right field deep. Harrison going back, turning around. This one carrying, and it is gone. On the first pitch after the intentional walk, it's a grand slam for Marcel Ozuna. And it's 4-0 Atlanta, and they hit a grand slam for the second night in a row. And welcome to Nat Chat for Thursday, May 6, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Another loss for the Nationals in this big series with the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. A 5-3 loss on Wednesday night. Nats fall to 12-14 and on the season. Give up a grand slam for a second consecutive game in this series. I tell you what, Mark, no matter what happens in Game 3 on Wednesday, can the Nats just not give up a grand slam? Can we start with that? Avoid the grand slam. Maybe come through with a hit if they get the bases loaded themselves. Something that they you know could have used in this game. There was a lot going on in this game, Al. There's, I feel like there's a lot for us to uh, discuss on this one. Some decisions made that didn't work out. Some decisions that maybe could have been done differently. And um, who knows what the result would have been. But this feels like a good game to you know have a, a nice long hash it all out discussion. So what do you say? Should we do it? Yeah, let's do it. So I'll go ahead and give you the floor here to start. What would you say bothered you the most? Because I got some things I want to get into, but you go ahead and start. What bothered me the most is, and it's not necessarily one particular situation, but it's the end result of it all. And that, that's this. You have Juan Soto on your bench for this game. You know he can't play the field. So he's going to get one at bat at some point as a pinch hitter. And we can debate over when that spot should have been, should have been early, should have been late, should they have hit for Robles, whatever the case may be. But if you're Davey Martinez, you have to make sure that when Soto comes up to bat, it's in a spot where it can cause significant damage, a chance to tie or take the lead. And it wound up being leading off the ninth inning down two runs. It could not have had any kind of significant impact on the game. And so, again, I, we can go through them all. And we can talk about why he didn't use them. And he's not necessarily, you know, it's, it's not cut and dry in every case. But to get to the end of that game and have not used Juan Soto, but to have used Yadiel Hernandez and Andrew Stevenson off the bench, 
I think to me was a pretty big mistake on Davey Martinez's part. Yeah, it's symptomatic of something we see in baseball all the time. We've seen it for years, and that is managers hoard their weapons and then end up not deploying those weapons until it's too late, if at all. I mean, like the classic example is the 2016 American League wildcard game in which Buck Showalter never used Zach Britton off the great season that he had. Buck was waiting for the perfect spot, and the spot never came up. And it's like, I really wish managers would be more liberal with their usage of these guys. Okay, maybe you use Juan Soto before the ninth inning. It's not the end of the world if you do that. He's your best hitter. He's maybe the best hitter in the sport. Go ahead and make usage of him. Let me ask you about the lineup, because I looked at this lineup, and I was like, what is the thinking here? Why is the lineup the way that it is? First of all, no Yadiel Hernandez. I mean, okay, maybe Yadiel's dealing with something we're not aware of. I mean, I know he's not going to play every game of the 162, but there's that. You have Starling Castro as the cleanup hitter, even though Castro did have a big hit in the game. But Castro's the cleanup batter. Jan Gomes is the number five batter. Like, I'm just looking at this lineup, and I'm saying to myself, it's one thing like for us, because we're deep in the weeds, and we talk about this team every day. If you don't follow the Nats on an everyday basis and you just look at their lineups game in, game out, especially the lineup on Wednesday night, you're saying to yourself, like, what happened to the Nats? Castro's the cleanup batter. Gomes is the fifth batter. Even Josh Harrison in the two spot, Ryan Zimmerman in the three spot. Like, this is the best we can do right now with this lineup? Well, I think it is in some ways because it is a reflection of, number one, Juan Soto is available, but only for one at bat, not to play in the field. Number two, Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber have not been at all what they were supposed to be. They should be the middle of the order hitters. And then when you're facing a lefty, as they were in this game in Max Freed, you want Zimmerman in there. So now Bell's out of the lineup. You don't trust Schwarber to hit high in the lineup against a lefty. He didn't ultimately decide that he trusted Yadiel Hernandez to start against a lefty. So now you have Josh Harrison in right field, and your only other right-handed bat to go to is Jordy Mercer to play second base. I think it's a function not so much of poor lineup construction as it is a function of poor roster management, that this is a not wonderfully conceived roster in terms of all the pieces fitting in together. We've talked about this before. They don't have a right-handed backup outfielder. They only have one out of five outfielders right now is right-handed, and that's Victor Robles. So when you're facing a lefty, some lefty is going to have to be in the lineup. And in this case, it was Schwarber, and you had Hernandez and Stevenson on the bench. Soto, like we said, isn't available to start. So it limits what your options are. And I don't know what the alternative is. Yeah, you can look at it and say, Starlin Castro shouldn't be hitting cleanup. Jan Gomes shouldn't be hitting fifth. That's all. You're right. There's nothing wrong with your thinking there. But the question would be, what's the alternative given what the options are at the moment because of who they have on the roster and who's available to do what? Yeah. And and that complaint really was more of a roster construction thing than a Davey thing. But this is not a problem that's going away. And, And I just kind of feel like as the season goes on, it just becomes more and more glaring. Like their lineup isn't very good. And even if guys start to pick it up, it's still not that good. Like if you get out of the Nats bubble and you look around the sport, I mean, I don't know how they really thought this was going to get the job done this year. Like a lot of things had to go well, and that's not happened so far this season. So it was another underwhelming game for the Nationals. You know, they, they did hit a couple of homers. So like there was that. But man, it just, it feels like in the big spots, it doesn't happen. And of course, there was no bigger spot than what happened with Victor Robles. Victor Robles, interestingly, batted ahead of Jordy Mercer. We haven't seen a lot of that this year with Robles batting beyond spots nine or eight. He was actually the number seven batter on this night. Mercer actually had a decent game. But Robles comes up, bases loaded, two outs, first pitch swinging, and it's a pop-up, a fly ball to shallow left field, a two-run eighth that should have been so much more. I mean, that eighth inning should have been like a five-run inning. Instead, you get just the two runs off the two-run homer by Trey Turner. 
they had the Braves bullpen on the ropes completely. I mean, Josh Tomlin, who I was surprised that he was the choice to start the inning, Turner homers off him. They end up pulling him for A.J. Minter. Castro with the double down the line. You're thinking good stuff. And now Gomes had a good at bat, eight pitch at bat. He fouled off some tough ones, but he ends up striking out. Schwarber had a good at bat against the lefty, drew the walk. It was also eight pitches. And now Robles. And here's the thing about making the out on the first pitch. It drives everyone crazy, of course, when it happens. And especially after a walk, you're saying, man, just work the count. But Davey would say this, and a lot of baseball people would say this. This is actually a little more forward thinking right now. There is an understanding that if you look at the numbers, the best count to get a hit in is 0-0. It's the first pitch. And the longer you wait it out and you get, fall behind in the count, especially when you get to two strikes, the numbers go way down. Guys don't consistently get hits with two strikes. Now, the problem is it's one thing to say it's okay to swing at the first pitch, but it's got to be the right pitch in the right spot for you to put a good swing on it. And that wasn't the case here. Davey thought it was actually a good swing by him. He thought you said just got under it. I don't know. I haven't really looked at it that closely on replay. But I think a lot of people were wondering, and I was wondering it myself at the time, given Robles' struggles, Juan Soto was literally hopping up the dugout steps to get in the on-deck circle as the first pitch was coming across. Would you take the chance and just put Soto up there right then and there to pinch hit with the game on the line, the bases loaded? Obviously, it's a better offensive option. The key is if it works or whatever happens, you've got to play the ninth inning. And now either Soto has to play the field or somebody's got to play out of position. Something weird would have had to happen after that. Is it worth taking that shot in the eighth inning on May 5th? I don't know. But again, you had Soto right off on the the side, the guy you really wanted the plate instead of Robles, who's not the guy you wanted the plate. And look what the end result was. Yeah, I mean, that was my thought with the Robles thing of you're going to lose a lot with defense if you do that there. And, you know, we should say this in fairness to Davey. It's not like Soto's looked lights out so far in these pinch inning opportunities. I mean, he's not done well. So, I mean, it doesn't mean he wouldn't have come through in that spot. But I think that is worth making mention of. Again, the point with a guy like Soto is he is a bullet. You need to fire that bullet in a key spot. And seeing Soto lead off that ninth inning, you're just like, well, this is nice to see him hit. But even, you know, if he hits a home run, it's only a one run shot. And of course, he didn't end up hitting a home run. The Nats went one, two, three in that ninth inning. Did anything else strike you as particularly glaring in terms of the decision making in this game? So yeah, let me go back. Before I get to this one, though, just continue the discussion of the eighth inning. He could have, in theory, hit Soto for Gomes, who had a nice game. I mean, he was two for three at that point. But you have a backup catcher in Alex Avila. So you could have sent Soto up with runners on second and third and one out to hit for Gomes and not had to worry about anything crazy in the field afterwards. Again, they chose not to do that. didn't work out. I thought you could make the argument to hit him in the fifth instead of Yadiel Hernandez with two on and nobody out. That inning just completely fizzled after that point. We can point to why each of those, it wasn't, there was a question whether or not to do it. But like we said, he has to come up to bat at some point in that game in a spot where he can make a difference and he wasn't able to do that. The other decision goes on the other side of the diamond And that was the intentional walk of Freddie Freeman to bring up Marcelo Zuna with the bases loaded in the third inning. And Davey said he would make that call 100 out of 100 times. And I get it. Freddie Freeman is, nobody has terrorized them more than Freddie Freeman over the years. But just watching him these last two nights, he has not looked good at the plate at all. And they've controlled him. He's 0 for 7 with three strikeouts in the series. And they've intentionally walked him twice. I did question that one to bring up Ozuna with the bases loaded. And we saw what happened for the second straight night, another grand slam. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Ozuna's not having a good season either. That was obviously a great moment for him, but his OPS is like 100 plus points worse than Freeman. So I I can understand that, especially given how Freeman has just tormented them 
over the years. Like, it would be just their luck that Freeman busts out of the slump against them in the series. But you're right. Freeman has not looked good so far. It's been an odd series in that regard. Acuna and some others have been the ones who have hurt the Nets. Not so much Freddie Freeman. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. I'm so excited that we have baseball. There's nothing like watching a game with great weather, a cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never bet on baseball before, now's actually the perfect time to give that a shot because FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free. You'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. If you live in Virginia, you can bet on the Wizards and Capitals all month long as they both make pushes for the playoffs. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds in all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions that let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
at hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Going back to the lineup construction thing and just the overall roster construction at all, do you think there's a trade to be made? Do you think Mike Rizzo will try to do something to upgrade this lineup, or do you think it just kind of is what it is? I mean, it's not like the farm system is oozing prospects to just be flipped to get ready guys for the big league level, but do you think this is kind of just what Davey's going to have to work with throughout the season? I do think there is a, a decent chance at some point, I mean, we're a long ways off from this happening. It would be July, I would imagine where they could go get a bat. I'm not saying a huge, big-time name, but I actually, in my preseason predictions, our question was who's going to start the most games at third base for the team. And I went out on a way out on a limb, and I said Kyle Seeger of the Mariners. That would obviously be a trade. I have no information that says they're targeting Seeger of just a name of someone who could be available for a team that's rebuilding and has a decent contract and you know could maybe fit in. But you know Chris Bryant, any of those, I could absolutely see at some point this summer there being a push to make a trade for a proven bat, whether it's a third baseman, a second baseman, an outfielder, whatever it is, somebody. And it's funny because every year for a while now, when we get to July, the talk is, okay, what relievers are they going to go get? And maybe for the first time, they won't need a reliever and they'll say, okay, our target right now is a bat. And again, maybe it's not a huge bat middle of the lineup guy, but somebody else who can help solve the issue here, which is, like we said, it's an unbalanced lineup. The bench is not really constructed where all the parts go together. So even if it's a, a part-time player, but somebody that just made more sense, like the Adrubal Cabrera pickup a few years ago, something like that, a part that would fit in with this team and make sense to fill in for somebody else would be the right bat off the bench or the right platoon matchup, things like that. I could definitely see that happening. But on May 5th, it's too far away. It's nothing that's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, it's just aggravating. And, you know, it's like, okay, even when Soto's back, I mean, he's not going to fix everything. Like, you know, you need the improvement from within to happen. And it still could happen. Like you said, it's early, but it's not happening. And it feels like, you know, you go two steps forward, three steps back. Like Josh Bell will look good for a game, and then he's right back to striking out a bunch. Kyle Schwarber will hit a walk-off home run, and then he'll do nothing for a week, you know? This series against the Braves, I mean, Max Fried's not a bad pitcher. He's having a horrendous season, okay? He's got an ERA, even with what happened on Wednesday night, one run, five innings, six strikeouts. His ERA is 844 on the year. This has not been a Braves team that has pitched well so far this season. And yet the last two nights, the first two games of this series, Enoa and Freed have basically silenced this lineup. Like that tells you a lot about this lineup. I mean, if they're not playing in Dunedin, they're really not hitting this season. And you can't be counting on playing all your games in Dunedin. And it seems like the first time through the lineup, it's hardly doing anything. It's only happening later in the game. And I was about to get a stat ready for my my story that I was writing tonight until Gomes homered in the fourth. I was looking it up. They've already nine times this year have been scoreless into the sixth inning. Like that just doesn't work. You can't do that consistently and, and expect to win. So it's got to happen earlier. You know, Soto is going to make a difference, of course, but Ultimately, like we've been saying, Bell and Schwarber have to do more. Castro, I mean, we haven't talked a lot about Castro. He's been a big disappointment. He has not been at all what he is supposed to be. He's not hitting for power. He hit the double in the eighth inning, but that was a ground ball double. It was a nice hit, but 
to ground ball. He's not elevating it at all. He's striking out more than somebody who's supposed to be a good bat to ball guy is doing. Robles is really hurting them. Trey Turner's been good. Zim's been good when he's been in there. I think the catchers have actually done all right. Gomes has been fine. He homered again. But it sounds weird, but it almost feels like the Carter Keyboom failure in spring training created a domino effect that they just were not prepared to deal with, both because of who that meant would now be in the lineup every day and because of who that would leave on their bench. Josh Harrison's supposed to be the super utility guy who can be plugged in anywhere, and that's a really valuable role for him. Well, instead, he is your everyday second baseman and hitting in a prominent spot in the lineup. Castro's hitting in a prominent spot in the lineup and playing third base that he wasn't supposed to. It's like they just assumed everything was going to work out with Keyboom and didn't think about, well, what if he doesn't? What's that going to mean for the rest of the roster? I think that's a, a pretty glaring failure on their part. It's one thing that Keyboom didn't pan out, but it's another thing they didn't really have a plan B ready to go in case it didn't. Yeah. Well, the, and the Keyboom reliance was part of an overall reliance on a bunch of 50 50 guys, if that, you know, Keyboom, Robles, Schwarber, Bell. Like offensively speaking, those were four sort of coin flip guys, and maybe they all pan out, but. Four regulars as coin flip guys, like you're counting on all four. And so far, you're 0 for 4. My thinking going into the season was, all right, if you can go 2 for 4, maybe 3 for 4 with those four, you're going to be in a pretty good spot. They're 0 for 4. And in some cases, like Keyboom, it's a complete failure, like a complete and total whiff. So yeah, they're in a tough way with it. And then you, you know everything's compounded by Soto missing time and some of the other things that have popped up with this team, you know, the COVID stuff. And you're like, well, like this is kind of what it's been. So I, I guess it really is kind of two-pronged. Like, did Davey maximize Soto as a weapon off the bench on Wednesday night? No. There's a larger phenomenon we keep coming back to, which is it shouldn't have to be that Davey's picture perfect with every move here. The lineup just leaves such a, a little, a small margin for error for Davey this season. Yeah, no, I agree. It starts with the state of the roster as a whole, and there's only so much that Davey can work with. He can only use the tools that he's given, and he's not working with the full toolbox right now. Or he's working with, you know, three wrenches and no hammer. And he needs to get a nail in the wall. He doesn't have the right tool for it. So yeah, it's not entirely on him at all. It goes beyond that. Now, you know, I'll still say a couple of days ago, we were talking really optimistically about this team. And I think rightfully so. And it's been a bit of a seesaw. And I know that there's some frustration and it's perfectly acceptable to be criticizing them for all these things. It is appropriate. But I would also say in the big picture that Bell and Schwarber are going to be better. I don't think it's possible they are as bad as we've seen. I'm not saying they're going to be great, but they absolutely should be better than this. Soto's return will ultimately make a difference. Strasburg's return, we can get to that, but he's going to pitch a simulated game on Thursday. That's a good sign of ultimately getting him back. The bullpen has been fantastic. It doesn't feel like they're that far off from actually going on a nice run here. They did do it for a few days. I don't think this is a hopeless cause. Yes, there are issues. They're not all of a sudden going to become a perfect team. But to me, not a lot of things have to flip here for them to start winning more games than they lose. And I think it's there. It's possible. It just needs to start happening on a more consistent basis. Yeah. I mean, I just wonder about like this coming weekend, the three games at the Yankees and the Yankees are throwing out there Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton and Gio Urshela and DJ LeMayhew and Judge and Stanton have hit out of their minds so far this year. And it's like you're countering with Starling Castro in the cleanup spot and Jan Gomes in the five spot. Like, <laughs> good luck with that in the Bronx this weekend. OK, especially with the starting pitching where you don't know what you're getting game in, game out. <laughs> Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shover's here to tell you about Sunday Scaries CBD gummies. 
Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that taste absolutely delicious and are easy to take on the go. Sunday Scary CBD gummies help you live life scare-free by promoting a sense of calm, quieting your mind, and just helping you to chill out and relax. They sent me a care package a few weeks ago, and let me tell you who they are targeting. Young professionals, entrepreneurs, college students, moms, and yogis. If you fit into one of those categories, I highly recommend checking out Sunday Scary CBD gummies. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NATSCHAT at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. Enter code NATSCHAT where asked for a coupon on the checkout page. Ready to chill out and get some much needed peace of mind? Head to sundayscaries.com right now to get 25% off some sweet, sweet CBD gummies. Now the wind and the pitch. And he swings and hits one to deep center field. Robles going back, looking up, and it's the first home run in the big league career of William Contreras. It comes on a 3-0 pitch. And it's over the big wall in right center, and it's 5-0 Atlanta. And that brings us to Eric Fetty, who has been good so far this year. So I don't want to crush him, but he was not at his best on Wednesday night, that's for sure. Ends up having a bad start for the first time since his first start of the regular season. You know, you raised the notion on the last installment of the podcast, well, the bad start was against the Braves as history repeat itself. Not as badly, but it wasn't good on Wednesday night. Ultimately, for Fetty, five runs and five innings, five hits, two homers and three singles, three walks, one of which was intentional. He was back to not getting the strikeout that had been such a bright spot for him recently. He'd become a strikeout pitcher, just three strikeouts in the game. And he gives up, as we alluded to earlier, another grand slam given up by the Nats in this series. Two out first pitch grand slam by Marcelo Zuna in the top of the third, and then a one out solo bomb by William Contreras in the top of the fourth. So I think in the big picture here, this is a bad matchup for Fetty. You go back beyond this year, and he has not been even close to successful against the Braves. Now, he's been a different pitcher this year, so it's maybe not fair to to judge him based on how he did in 2020 and 2019 and all that. But this is a good lineup (laughs) the Braves have. Maybe Fetty isn't the best one to be facing up against him. Although I would say for two innings in this game, he looked fantastic. Six up, six down. A ball didn't leave the infield, getting tons of grounders. That's exactly what he's supposed to be doing. He's throwing strikes and then just kind of fell apart during that sequence in the third. And even that, he had a runner on second with two outs, and that suddenly turned into a four-run inning. And that's where you just, you got to be able just to finish off that inning. He ends up walking Acuna. Well, first of all, there was a pass ball on a cross-up between him and Gomes. You can't let that happen. You walk Acuna now because runner's on first and third. Acuna steals second without a throw. Now, because of that, first base is open and they elect to intentionally walk Freddie Freeman. We already discussed that decision. And all of a sudden, the bases are loaded and for a guy who can hit the ball out of the park. And it's exactly what Ozuna did. So it's those little things that led up to it. Yeah, the home run is bad, but that inning probably never even needed to get to that point. And that's where for Fetty to truly develop into the kind of consistent big league pitcher they need him to be, he can't ever let it get to that point. He's got two outs and one runner on base. You got to find a way to get the third out and not put yourself in a spot where the bases are loaded against a slugger like Marcelo Zuna. You know, Rick Dempsey used to say this all the time on Mass, and I have no idea if the data backs this up, but it sure seems to be the case. Every big inning, he used to say, nothing good happens after a walk. And it sure does seem that way, that in every big inning, you have at least one walk. Like the walk is kind of like a symptom of something bad is about to happen. And obviously it's not good when a pitcher gives up a walk, but it's like, it doesn't have to mean that a big thing happens. But you certainly had that in this inning with Eric Fetty. 
So he struggles against the Braves and they get to him and the Nats once again have to try to dig out of a hole. And you know, you, you mentioned it, how the Nats are not scoring runs early in games. Nats are down in this game, five nothing in the fourth inning. And, you know, the whole thing about coming back in the later innings, I mean, it's great if you can do that. And obviously we saw the Nats do it a ton in 2019 and all those runs that were scored seventh inning on that postseason, but very hard to make a living that way. I mean, put aside the fact that the lineup isn't good to begin with, but if every game you got to battle back and you got to figure out a way, like that's a nice thing you can do for a week or two. That's a nice thing you can do for a, a winning streak. But over the course of six months, it's almost impossible to try to win 90 games doing that. And it feels like every game the Nats are having to do that. Yeah, it feels like when they score early, they're in great shape and they hang on because the bullpen's been really good. When they don't, they're kind of up a creek and every once in a while they come back from you know late to do it, but not consistently. And I'm I'm looking up the numbers right here. When they score first this year, they're 10 and 2. When the opponent scores first, they're 2 and 12. And that tells you a lot right there. And, I, and most teams are going to be somewhat skewed, but that seems especially skewed for them. It's a, a sign of what the bullpen has been, obviously. But I think it's also a sign of this offense that when they can't get something going early, they just leave themselves in a bad spot. And obviously, on the nights that the rotation has been awful, that's contributed to it. But they need to be better at keeping the game close early so that maybe you are a couple hits late in the game makes a difference, but you're not trying to rally from five runs down. You're trying to rally from one run down, or maybe it's a tie game. They really haven't been in that spot a lot. These games have been pretty lopsided, like after five innings in a lot of cases. And I don't think that's a, a good way for them to try to, to go through an entire season. No, it's really tough. Very tough. Well, there was a big bright spot on Wednesday night, and that was the bullpen, which had maybe its best performance of the season. Three Nationals relievers combined for four perfect innings, among them an immaculate six inning by Kyle Finnegan. Finnegan trying to finish him off. No balls, two strikes. Here it is. Strike three called, and there it is, an immaculate inning. Three straight three-pitch strikeouts. Kyle Finnegan strikes out the side on nine pitches, and that, folks, is an immaculate inning. Three strikeouts on just nine pitches, just the fifth immaculate inning for the Nats franchise since it came to D.C. After that, Sam Clay, a perfect seventh inning on three ground outs, so like vintage Clay there. And then our guy, Paolo Espino, a perfect eighth inning, followed by a perfect ninth inning to lower his ERA to 193 on the season. Paolo rewarding the Nationals for demoting Kyle McGowan and not Paolo with the reinstatement of Will Harris. But that was some performance by the bullpen. Kind of gets lost in the overall outcome of the game, but tremendous job, especially Finnegan, the immaculate sixth inning. As a whole, that's what gave them the chance to potentially rally late in the game. There are a lot of times in the past, they're down 5 nothing. It's going to end up being eight to five before the night is over. And in this case, they kept it there at the five runs. And that's what allowed them to have the opportunity to come back and, and maybe do something at the end of the game. So Finnegan, that was fantastic. Nine pitches, nine strikes. And he said he knew it. After about the seventh pitch, he realized what was going on. And he sort of told himself, OK, calm down here. Don't get too caught up in this. But he also said, like, let's give this a shot. I don't want to blow this and like throw a pitch way off the plate. Like if I'm going after them and if they hit it, they hit it. So props to him that he pulled it off. And you know, the list of, you said it's five times in Nats history, they've done it. Do you know who the other guys are who have done it? Oh, it's a who's who. Yeah. It is absolutely a who's who. It's Max Scherzer twice. It's Steven Strasburg once and it's Jordan Zimmerman once. And now Kyle Finnegan is on that list. One of these things is not like the other, huh? That is a really cool list to be a part of for him. And he is looking more and more 
like someone who can be a long-term piece of the puzzle, as is Sam Clay. And for all these years we keep talking about, they can't develop their own pitchers. They have to go get veterans at the trade deadline. For the first time probably ever, they have a bullpen that is a combination of, of outside veterans and homegrown players here that looks like it has some sustainable ability here. And that's going to make a huge difference for them. It's going to keep them in games late. They're going to close out the games that they're ahead and not going to be so much worried about them blowing it. But also a game like tonight, they keep it close enough to give the offense a chance. And one of these nights, they may come back and actually win because of it. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing that we know can change on a dime. And we're only a little more than a month into the season. But the bullpen looks to be the best it's been in years, especially early in a year. Like I know, you know, in 20, what was it, 17, when Rizzo made the trades for Doolittle and Madsen, it's like, okay, the bullpen got rebuilt as that season went on, 2019. But otherwise, it's like the bullpen every year feels like is a problem that has to be addressed at some point in the season. And maybe, just maybe, this is the rare year that Rizzo doesn't have to make an in-season trade to fortify the bullpen. We'll see. It has been a bright spot. There's no question about that. And it's a lot of different people. Like it's not just, you know, two guys or three guys you can count on. It's like a bunch of guys you feel like you could count on. We're barely seeing Brad Hand. I mean, you forget that Brad Hand is on the team and the bullpen still has ended up doing what it's done so far. Yeah. The best thing out of all this, I mean, I know they're not winning as many games as you'd like, but the best thing is that he's not having to burn up his best relievers. That was always the issue the last few years. Doolittle would have to be used so much that he had nothing left in the tank by July. Hudson last year was kind of that way. So now, knock on wood, they could get to a point this summer where Hand and Hudson are really fresh. They'll get Swero back. He's ready to throw a simulated game. Finnegan, Clay. I even think McGowan's going to come back at some point. He was pretty good for them. Rainey's still trying to figure things out, but I mean, it, you can afford to deal with that. And now Will Harris back. Like that's a lot of potentially quality arms. And the nice thing is that he doesn't have to burn any one guy up by overusage because he has enough options. And that's something they just have not had over the years. Yeah. Got to get the offense going, though, obviously. Perhaps that happens. As the Nats try to avoid a three-game sweep, it's amazing how this stuff changes, right? You go from sweeping the Marlins, feeling great, to now potentially getting swept by the Braves at home. John Lester, Drew Smiley. It's a 405 first pitch at Nationals Park. It is a YouTube game. It is not a Masson game. So be mindful of that. It'll be start number two for John Lester. Five scoreless innings in his Nationals regular season debut this past Friday night, the 2-1 inning win over the Miami Marlins. An interesting game for Lester because he was far from dominant, but the ultimate run prevention was there with the five scoreless innings. What are you anticipating from Lester on Thursday? Well, as we saw, he's got to keep the ball down. And if he gets it up at all, especially against this lineup, he may pay the price for it. I think this is going to be a tougher matchup for him. Let's see. You, you hope that he can Get the job done, get some good defense behind him, but I think they're going to have to score runs to win this game. They faced Smiley on opening day. They scored four runs off him in six innings. Trey Turner homered. Jonathan Lucroy, no longer on the team, had a big double. Aaron Perez had a single to start it all. He's no longer with the team. I think Smiley is a guy they need to hit. They need to score early, like we were just saying, so they're playing from ahead instead of behind. They do have their A bullpen ready to go, so they don't need a lot out of Lester. He's just got to keep the ball down, hope nobody catches one in the jet stream, hits it out of the park, and keep the game close to hopefully do something late. Drew Smiley's ERA over four starts this season is 8-0-5. This is another pitcher who is primed to be pounced on. Hopefully, the Nats can do that. You're not facing Jacob DeGrom in this series, okay? These are pitchers who can get got, and so far, the Nats' bats have gotten got in this series. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show to Nats Chat Podcast 
at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Mark Zuckerman. I am at Al Galdi. For Mark, I'm Al. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.